I'm feeling good. I hope you're feeling okay too. It is, after all, a resurrection celebration. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, so I'm going to take a little risk with you. I hope you feel risky yourselves in your dining room or living room. Let's try to sing together. Ah, hallelujah. Oh, why am I the only one singing? Uh, Augustine said we're an Easter people and Alleluia is our song. So let's live into that great saint's great expectations. It was the Apostle Paul, after all, who did say, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And the ones you've loved and lost, you've actually only really just lost. And the losses just keep piling up. They just keep accumulating. And you're getting buried underneath all of the loss. But Christ has been raised, in fact, so we might just sing or shout or say Alleluia at any given point this morning. After all, the poet John Donne wrote in one of my favorite poems, Death, be not proud, though thou thinkst thou art mighty and dreadful, thou art not so. Death, thou shalt die. So if you find yourself humming a little Alleluia, I'll completely understand. And if you shout it or sing it or say it even all alone, that will be okay. I won't be offended. I want you to listen with me. To the story that we gather to hear on Resurrection Sunday, the story that gives our lives meaning in this celebration its purpose, it's from the Gospel of Luke. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb carrying the spices they had prepared. They saw the stone had been removed from the tomb, but they did not see his body. As they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and crucified and on the third day rise again. And then they remembered his words and they returned from the tomb to the apostles and those with whom they had gathered. And they told them all of these things. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles, but it seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and then he went home, amazed at what had happened. On that same day, two of them were going into a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, talking and discussing all these things that had happened. And as they were talking, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He said to them, what are you discussing as you walk along? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said, What things? And he answered, The the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet, mighty in 
deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it's the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our group went to the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body and They said they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of us from the group went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but they didn't find the body. And Jesus said, Ah, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all the prophets declared. Was it not necessary that the Son of Man must suffer these things and then enter glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the things about himself and all the scriptures. When they came to the village to which they were going, he kept walking as if he were going on. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's now nearly evening and the day is almost over. So Jesus went in to stay with them. And he sat down at the table and he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us as we walked along while he was opening the scriptures to us? And that very hour they got up, returned to Jerusalem to the apostles together with their companions. And they told them, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told them what had happened along the road, how he had made himself known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Luke 24, at least most of it. That's the story that prompted the apostle Paul to say, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? That's the story that prompted the Spanish theologian Jose Maria Cabadevilla to write these amazing words. From now on, all books on geography will have to be different. For it is here and not elsewhere that the center of the earth is found, the navel of the universe, the white post from which all kilometers and light years will be measured. That is amazing. That makes me want to sing, shout, say, alleluia. And I don't think I'm alone because Jesus Christ, God, God in the flesh, but God all the same, entered into the creaturely realities of our lives. We call that Christmas. He suffered and died on the cross for the forgiveness of the whole world, which most certainly includes you. We call that Good Friday. But he didn't stay there. He rose up in resurrection for you and for me and for all of us. We call that resurrection. I want you to notice two things with me. In this resurrection story, I want you to know who, notice who is in the story. And then I want you to notice what they get to see. Did you notice who was in the story? Not a nameless, faceless crowd, but real people with real lives and real joys and real pain and real names like yours and mine and the one who doesn't think anyone knows her name, Mary Magdalene. She's in the story. If, if, you, if you've gathered on this resurrection day feeling a bit bad about yourself, feeling a bit bad about your past and the places you've gone and the things you've done, let me introduce you to Mary Magdalene. 
She was a prostitute. Do I need to explain what that means? Who had been possessed by seven demons. And she herself is included in this resurrection story, which I take to mean you can be included too. You with the past you can't change and the pain you can't undo and the sad you can't unsad. You can be included in the resurrection story. Come on in. Jesus Christ died and rose again to write a whole new story with you. You know who else is in the story? Joanna. Joanna is in the story. Joanna was an aristocrat. Joanna was rich. She was well-to-do. She was married to the steward, to Herod Antipas. That's like Joseph and Pharaoh kind of stuff. Herod, a part of the family of Herod, they're, they're not the greatest family as the Gospels articulate them. Their dad killed all the babies when Jesus was born, and Herod Antipas killed John the Baptist, and Joanna is the wife of the steward, the higher-up, of Herod Antipas, which is to say, if you've been in on some darkness, if, you, if you've hung around some unkept people who don't always keep their promises, you can be included in this story too. Jesus died and rose again to rewrite a whole new story with you. You know who else is in the story? Mary, the mother of James. There's a mom in the story. The mom who's got to get the kids ready to school, make their lunches, pick them up at the end of the day, and go to work all day, feeling less than, just trying to keep her head above water. And yet here, the mom is in the story. And you can be too. You who walk around not feeling that you're good enough at home and you're good enough at work and basically you're just not enough. Come on in. This resurrection story has room for you. You know who else is in the story? The other women. The other women, unnamed as they are in Luke 24. Which is, you know, kind of par for the course in first century Roman Empire. Women, they were, they were property. They were objects. They were marginalized. They were only really worth anything if they were ever actually married anyway. And yet here these other unnamed women are, first at the tomb, given the opportunity to be the first preachers of the resurrection. So don't tell me women can't preach and don't let them keep your voices silent any longer. You can be included in this story. Come on in. Jesus died and rose again to write a whole new story. You know who else is in the story? Simon Peter. Simon Peter, for Pete's sake, had denied Jesus three times at his hour of need, and he's in the story. So maybe you've said things and done things you shouldn't have done and wouldn't do again, but you did then, and you did anyway. You can be in this story. You know who else is in the story? Cleopas. Cleopas. Some really smart people say Cleopas was Jesus' uncle. Cleopas, that which means family's in the story. Yeah, this year, this year of all years, I'm going to say it. Family can be included in the story of the family you haven't been with since the election because that got too complicated and don't like to be with now because masks are such an obstacle or for any number of other reasons I can't imagine, but you carry deeply. Family can be in the story. You know who else is in the story? The unnamed disciple who's with Cleopas and those same really smart people say was his wife, which means your spouse is in the story. Marriage is in the story. Though the spouse isn't all you thought he could be and doesn't do all the things you wish she would do, marriage is in the story. Come on in. Jesus Christ died and rose again to write a whole new story. I just think it's really important to notice who's included. The women were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them. And then he skips to Simon Peter, and then he jumps to Cleopas and his wife, 
which I take to mean you can be included in the story too. You with all of your you-iness, you with all of the things they say about you, all of the things you feel about you, Jesus Christ died and rose again to make space for you in the story. I wanted you to notice. I also want you to notice what those in the story get to see. There's this really stunning line in Luke 24. Jesus is walking along with Cleopas and his wife. So just to get your head around this, Jesus' uncle Cleopas and his aunt don't recognize him. You want to talk about family dysfunction. They're walking, they're walking along. They're talking about the, the events of, of the weekend. It's been three days, which is, that's like first century's way of putting an exclamation point around. He died. It's over. And they're heading back to Emmaus because it's all their, we had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. So they're talking along and they, they beg Jesus to come into the house, and as in keeping in Jesus' character, when you ask, he'll respond. So he takes his seat at the table. He takes a loaf of bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. He gives it to them, which ought to sound awfully familiar to a bunch of us who hang around Pillar, and it sounded awfully familiar to them, too. He took the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to them. And then the line, then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. Luke is stealing that line. Resurrection robbery. He's borrowing from the Bible's very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, the story of the first man and the first woman, they were told not to eat of the fruit of the one tree, but they did anyway. They took the fruit and they ate, and she gave it to him, and he took it, and he ate. And the whole world was sent spiraling into chaos, into despair, into brokenness and sin. And we know it still and we know it now. The systems and the structures around us that wreak their havoc on us and the brokenness in us that expresses itself outside of us, which is why I really can't stand the phrase, you do you. You've heard me say this so many times. You do you will only find you lost and find you sad. And it's not the gospel. It's not the resurrection story. This is a different story The first man and the first woman, they eat of that first fruit and their eyes are opened and they recognized that they were naked. They recognized their shame. They recognized the guilt that goes with it. They recognized the embarrassment. They had been used, exposed, exploited. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized, and now Luke, telling this resurrection story, steals the line to reframe it for us. Now at the table, Christ breaks the bread, offers it up, gives his life for ours. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized not their inadequacy, but rather him and all of his grace and glory. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. That's what you get to see when you're inside the story. Not the past you can't change. Not the shame that weighs heavy. Not the guilt that wants to undo. But rather Christ who died and rose again to forgive. Christ who loves you so much he gave up his life for you. That's what you get to see. They recognized him. And I want you to recognize him too. This week I've been thinking, a lot, for whatever reason, uh, my friends Michael and Tina Canis have been 
on my mind. Uh, they're dear friends of mine, beloved members of our community. It was uh, four years and two weeks ago that their sweet nine-year-old Caroline, they called her Peach, died of an angry brain tumor uh, known as DIPG. Uh, I got a phone call the year before she died, the, the day after she had been diagnosed, I got a phone call informing me. I called Michael up at Hel- Helen Ch- uh, DeVos Children's Hospital. We had one of those extremely painful and simultaneously sacred conversations. He invited me up to the hospital to baptize little Peach that day. So with my heart full of love and my body full of grief, I baptized Caroline. When I got into her hospital room, there was a styrofoam cup on the table next to her bedside with a note that said, no tears, 25 cents. And by the time I got there, there was a $100 bill in the styrofoam cup. A couple of months ago, Caroline's grandpa died. We were at his graveside, which is right next to her graveside, and there were quarters all over that graveside. Uh, Caroline, she'd be 13 She was about as sweet as you can be, really. I'm sure she had her moments, but she just seemed so courageous and so kind and so gentle when it became clear that DIPG was going to do what DIPG does. uh, Her grandpa, Herm, committed every day to read to her chapters from the set of children's books called the Chronicles of Narnia. So every day, late afternoon, Grandpa Herm would head on down to Caroline's house and read the next chapter. He started at the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, and he made his way through all seven books until he got to the last paragraph on the last page of the last book titled The Last Battle, which turned out to be the last day of Caroline's life. The next day, Uh, She would breathe her last. It was March 18, 2017. Uh, I've I've shared this story with you before, I think, uh, but I have now the audio of Grandpa Herm reading to Caroline the day before she died. I want you to listen to this. The dream has ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked at them like a lion. But things began to change, to happen after they were so great and beautiful, I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and in the adventure of Narnia had been the cover of title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, which every chapter is better than the one before. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. For them, it was the beginning of the real story. A story that goes on forever in which each chapter is better than the next. For them, it was the beginning of the real story. The real story. 
Jesus Christ enters into our lives, takes on our pain, our hurt, our sadness, not just to forgive us of the past we can't change, but to redeem us. Not just to say, it's okay, I won't hold it against you, but rather to make us new, to make us right, full, whole, thriving. It's, for them, it was the beginning of the real story. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And I want you to recognize him too. I want you to find yourself in the real story. Come to the table. The body of Christ given for you. Find your way into the real story, the blood of Christ shed for you. Augustine said we're an Easter people and Alleluia is our song. I'm not gonna sing, but maybe we can say Alleluia. If you believe Jesus is Lord and acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome at this table if or the one in your home. You, you, if you're not at that place in life or faith, uh, it is an honor to be with you in this way. If, if the things you heard today pose some questions for you, I'd love to get together. Maybe we could share your story. I could share mine. I want to invite you into the real story. I want your eyes to be opened, to recognize him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.